Hey, welcome everybody. It's really great to have you here and uh, to see a full house and uh, very thankful for what the Lord is doing here at Midtown because everything we're doing is laboring uh, for the richness of your life. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that uh, through our sermon, but we're in a series on generosity, which is crazy because we just wrapped up uh, last year and the giving here at Midtown, we had the best year of giving we have ever had in the history of this church. You guys are unbelievable. I mean, your generosity is crazy. And what's crazy is churches usually save series on generosity when the budget's struggling, you know, because we use the series to kind of guilt you into giving more, like, help us, please. Like, our, our trust is in you and not the Lord. So you're free. Hey, we are completely free. God is doing great things. So it gives us freedom to dive in to this series. And this series has been a lot of fun. Because uh, what we're going to talk about today is how to be hilarious in your giving. So this week, I came across a story about a Nashvilleian named Carlos Whitaker. You may know this story. Uh, he is an Instagram guy who has tons of followers. And on MLK Day, he went over to Waffle House over on Nolansville Road, and he was having breakfast, and he was saying hi to the whole waiting staff. And because it was MLK Day, and Martin Luther King had a dream... He asked each of them, what is your dream? And so he filmed them while they were doing it. And some had dreams about one day owning a house. And some had dreams of sending one of their kids to college. Others had dream of getting out of debt. Like, you know, just normal dreams like you and me. And so when he left the restaurant, uh, he reached out to all his Instagram followers. And he said, let's make their dream come true. And so people started sending money to him. Two days later, he went back with over $100,000 in his pocket to give to all these ladies that are serving tables at Waffle House. I know, it was incredible. It was insane. In fact, he filmed the whole thing and he called them around. He says, hey ladies, come on around. I got something for you. And there was one lady there that was probably closer to my age. And because she was closer to my age, she had, she had seasoned cynicism. Like she, when you get my age, you know, life has taught you, you got to, Nobody gives you anything, you know? And so she had this cynicism that when that generosity landed at her doorstep, she was like, no way. What's, what's the catch here? What are you trying to pull? What is it that you actually want from me? And when she finally realized, no, 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 this is pure generosity. You, you couldn't help but smile watching the video. And in fact, you couldn't help watch that and not walk away and go, that's what I want my life to be like. I want my life to be such an outrageous display of generosity that, that my life now is on display for goodness for other people. I don't care who you are. And so two weeks ago, we started this series by talking about God. And we said that, that the reason generosity is something that we foster in our lives is because our God is generous. In fact, he's not generous. He is generosity. In the same way that we say that God isn't powerful he is power. He is pure power. He is the source of all power. That he's not wise. He is wisdom. All wisdom comes from the fountainhead, which is God. We can say the same thing about generosity. So we talked about our God is generous. And if we're being birthed into the family of God, our Father is making us like him. We're his kids. Last week we talked about, well, why do we give? And we, we said, remember this? Um, one, God doesn't need your money. Two, God doesn't want your money, all right? God wants you. 
But God realizes sometimes money gets in the way of you actually believing that God wants you and not your pocket. And so he's using that as a way to to push you closer to him. And then today we're going to talk about how do we give? Now that we know who God is, now that we know uh, he doesn't want my money, how do we give? So um, I'm asking, is it Christine? Are you here? Yes. She's going to read for us. We're in 2 Corinthians. Oh, well. Who did that? One more time. There you go. All right. That is allowed in the church. I just want you to know that. The series on sex is next week, all right? Are you blushing yet? Okay, all right. I can't tell. I'm, okay. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or no, chapter 9, unless you don't want to be there anymore. In which case, close us in prayer, Christine. Um, she's going to start in verse 6. Okay, stop. She's going to read that again, okay? Because, guys, I want you to know that what I'm trying to do is lob some hand grenades into this room. If the hand grenade God doesn't want your money is not a big enough hand grenade, and that Midtown doesn't trust you to do the work God has called us to do, we're trusting him, that should be a big hand grenade for you, all right? So here's another one. Read it again. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Keep going. Yeah, it gets better. <laughs> Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply, increase your store and seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, um, just thank you that you love to use the foolishness of preaching um, because it is uh, foundational uh, in the strength of your word. And that, Lord, today we're not looking for the best of Midtown. We're looking for you. Would you meet us here today and uh, speak to our hearts and then give us courage because that's a scary thing to hear from you. Um, but let us lean into that and partner with your desire to change us. In Christ's name, amen. So let me read verse 7 for you again. Uh, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The very first principle that we need to grasp when we talk about how are we supposed to give is this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Let me say that again. You get to decide. Really? No, you get to decide. Wait, we're at church, right? Isn't this where church tells you what to do and what not to do? Aren't we the ones to tell you so that you don't have to decide that actually we've already decided for you how much you're going to give? 
No. It says it right there. You decide. In fact, here's the crazy thing. Stephen, come up. Do y'all know Stephen Goss? Could somebody please give him a cat call? Thank you, Kara. I appreciate that. Like, this is, this is the, the difference of everything we're talking about today. God doesn't come down and go, Stephen, there you go. That's the rules. Good luck. We'll see you, I don't know, 40 years, maybe 50, all right? It's not at all what the story of the gospel is. The story of the gospel is, yeah, that's great, Stephen. Come on, man, let's go together. No, watch your step. Come over here, then come over, okay, then go over here. Okay, man, it's great hanging out with you, bro. Actually, you're a good-looking dude. You know that? (laughs) Thank you. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the difference between church being where we get our rule book on how we're to live our lives, that versus the Holy Spirit is coming in and saying, I want to dwell with you, and I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to disciple you. And yeah, I'm going to teach you some of the things, the principles of what it means to be a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God, but I'm walking with you every step of the way. That's our expectation. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 36, this is an Old Testament prophecy, and the prophet Ezekiel is prophesying about you because he's saying there's going to come a day when the Messiah is going to come. This Messiah is going to come, and he's going to give his life. He's going to die on the cross, and he's going to raise again, and he's going to raise up a new Israel, a new people of God that are new. And let me, let me read for you how he describes you and me. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. That's who we are. We have been given not this wicked, broken, twisted heart. That got taken away. And now what we've been given is this heart where God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, dwells within us. And here's what this whole passage is about. You see it? Go live it. So yesterday I came up here to the office to get some stuff. And one of our pastors was throwing a birthday party for his five-year-old daughter. And it was a princess party. So all the girls were dressed like princesses. And there was a two-story inflatable castle right next to our playground. You couldn't miss it. You could see it blocks away. You can see it. And when a car would pull up and a little princess would jump out, the first thing that she would do is run straight for that castle, jump in, and experience it. Because it's, it's just irresistible. There's no way you could keep her from not going into that thing. That's what we're talking about. The Lord says, hey, I know that you have a broken relationship with your heart, because we all do. And I know that guilt and shame and a life of comparison and control has made your heart a scary place to wander into because it feels like it's wild and out of control, which it is. It is a wild, wonderful, dangerous place. And the Lord is saying, come on in. Come on, we're going to explore it together. We're going to jump in, and you're going to start to realize that this heart that you have, our Father made it, and he made it for him. God is trying to heal our relationship with our heart In fact, he's trying to heal our relationship with him. And in this passage, it says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. If you're going to live that free, 
if you're going to live that dangerous, if you're going to shed the skin of your religious past and start wandering into the world of being led by the Holy Spirit, there are two huge obstacles in your way. It says them right here. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a hilarious giver. Loves a hilarious giver. So let's talk about these two things, can we? Okay. We only have about an hour left. So here we go. The first is reluctant. That you, reluctancy is going to get in the way of you living this full-hearted, vulnerable life of walking with God and being yourself. Reluctant. And what is reluctant? Well, we all kind of know what reluctancy is, but let me give you a definition that we can all kind of work with. Reluctancy is that, that thing in your life where you don't really want to do something, but you do it anyway that your heart's not in it. You just are kind of like, oh, I can't believe I got talked into this. Are we really going to small group tonight? I don't want to go. And you do it anyway. Reluctancy is that, that thing that takes place when you tell your kids that this afternoon I'm checking you out of school early and they're like, yay, to go to the dentist. Oh, and they're like, I want to go, I don't want to go. And you make all kinds of promises and you're just kind of dragging them into the dentist and they have a miserable time. That's reluctancy. Reluctancy is like everywhere. It's all over. The we used to have a dog. Some of y'all knew Buck. He was, a, he was a gentle giant. And I don't know what it was about our dog, but every time I had to take him to the vet, he knew it. Like it was, I would walk in the house and say, hey, Buck, let's go. And he would literally, I don't know what it was, but he would crawl under the bed. He would fight. He was completely reluctant. And what the Lord is saying about reluctancy is reluctancy is getting in the way of you being full hearted. Because what's really in your heart? I don't, I don't want to. Great. What is it that you want? When I live reluctantly, I never answer that question. What do you want? What do you want? In fact, I come to church and I'm taught, I should never ask that question, what do I want? Because be, I should be figuring out, what do you want? Like, how do I serve you? Or what does God want? How do I serve God? How do I shape my life around what he wants for me? But it's saying right here, what do you want? Because what you want is going to show you a lot about you. What do you really want? And for some of you, that's a very scary question. The reason that it's scary, well, because you've spent your whole life trying to figure out what everybody else wants from you or for you that you, know how, you don't have any idea how to answer the question, what you want. You've spent so much time trying to please your parents trying to please your bosses, trying to please your spouses, trying to please everybody on social media, trying to please your kids. You've spent so much of your time so focused on everybody else in your life that when I ask you, what do you want? You're like, I, uh, uh, I don't know. And you struggle. Where do you want to live? I don't, I, I don't know. Where do you want to work? I, I, I don't know. Where do you want to go to lunch after church? I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. In fact, when we live a life that is so dedicated to I don't know, 
a life that's so dedicated to never knowing what it is that you really want, and you're only focused on what everybody else wants, here's the words that come out of our mouth more than anything else. See if you know somebody like this. What do you want to do? I don't care. I don't care. Where are you going to lunch? I don't care. What kind of car do you want to drive? I don't care. What do you want to do on your day off? I don't care. Where do you want to go on vacation? I don't care. And it seems like they're, they're the most uh, easy person on the planet to get along with. But in reality, they're a person that never has stopped and, and thought in their own heart what they really want. And why is that dangerous? When Psalm 37, now remember, what Paul is trying to do and what God is trying to do is he's trying to recover us. In fact, let's go to this. Can we stop just for a second and let's go back to this passage because in, at the beginning of this passage, it says, um, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That there, there is a reward in us being outrageously hilarious, generous people. In fact, when we are generous people, this passage says we are blessed. And I got to tell you, I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I don't want to just be blessed a little bit. I want to be blessed a lot. And I don't want to just be blessed a lot. I want every blessing God has to fall on me. I want it all. I want, I want my life I, at the root of everything I desire, at the root of everything I want. What I want is to be blessed, blessed, blessed. And on top of that blessing, put a smattering of cheese blessing. I just want it all. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Don't you? Don't you? But it also goes on to talk about that when you are blessed and then you give, you bless others. And boy, at the root of all my desires, I want to be a blessing. Like I want to bless people. I want the people in my life to go, man, I am so thankful he's in my life. Why? He's a blessing. I want this city to be different because I'm here because I'm a blessing. I tell you, at the root of my deepest, most holy desires is I want to be blessed and I want to bless. But the third thing that it says right here at the end, it says, when we do those things, it glorifies God, which is a deep desire for me. God, I want my life to be glorifying to you. So when we practice radical, hilarious generosity, we are seeking being blessed, being a blessing, and the glory of God. And so what Paul is trying to do is turn us into those kind of people. And the first thing he says is he goes, you got to wage war on reluctancy. In Psalm 37, it says, take delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. God's not shaming my desires. He's not patting them down and going, you shouldn't want those things. He's trying to fan them into a flame and say, what do you want? What do you really want? Some of you, like me, uh, not knowing what you want comes naturally. Uh, I grew up in a home where addiction was a part of our childhood and growing up. And in a natural flow, like many of you, your, your home is so healthy. Like you are so curious about your children and you want to know how they're doing and you want to care for them. And that's the way it should work. A parent should move toward a child, discover their heart, care for their heart, nurture them and draw out of them the uniqueness of who God has made them to be. But when one or both of your parents are narcissistic or trapped in an addiction, they don't have the capacity to do that. 
So what happens in that kind of a home is the children start to feel that something's unnatural here. And instead of being drawn to, they draw to. And what they do is they begin to become hyper-focused on the needs of the parents rather than the parents being focused on the needs of the children. And here's the weird thing. Maybe none of y'all have had this experience. Maybe some of you have. Here's the weird thing is when you're in a house that's not safe, you become so hyper-focused on what's going on with your parents for just pure survival that you never discover who you are. And as you move into life, you start marrying people and dating people and creating friendships where it's a one-way street. I'm just hypersensitive to you. How are you doing? And I'm going to meet your needs. It's why a lot of people end up in ministry like me. I'll meet all your needs. Just give them to me. I'll meet them. Superman. But when we begin to discover that's broken, and what Lord is trying to restore is our hearts of who we are and our desires and rediscover who we want, here's what we find. This is crazy. All right. Wait. I don't want to get out of my notes here. But, okay. It's pretty impressive, wasn't it? All right. In this heart, remember, he's given you a heart of flesh. Christ dwells in there. The Spirit's dwelling. Something holy is happening in your desires. And when I start to live life and I encounter this heart, what I'm going to discover in here is what scripture calls convictions. And these are dangerous things. They're beautiful things, but they're dangerous things. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? That's our faith. The conviction of things not seen. Faith is searching for conviction. And when faith encounters conviction, it always mobilizes our feet, always moves us. Because convictions are the things that I know who I am, I know what I'm gifted with, I know what I'm called to, and I know what he's calling me to. Those are convictions. And here's what's crazy, is that we're not good at coming into our hearts. And we're even worse at at discovering our convictions. And so we get stuck in jobs we shouldn't be in. We get stuck in relationships we shouldn't be in. We get stuck in ways of thinking about ourselves that are destructive and not helpful. So... If we want to discover our convictions, how do we find them? Well, uh, we've talked about this before. It's worth repeating. There's a simple way to discover your convictions, which are birthed in what you want. And that is, where do you complain? Do you have a hard time thinking about that? That should be pretty easy for most of us. What do you complain about? What do you complain? Where do you grumble? Because here's what happens. When I grumble and complain, which scripture says do everything without grumbling and complaining, what it's saying is when I grumble, I'm I'm trying to get to the big B, the blessing, by going around my heart instead of going through my heart. Because when I complain and grumble, I never have to deal with me. So when you go to that party and somebody says something to you that hurts your feelings, and you leave complaining about that person, I can't believe what they said. I can't believe who they are. Can you believe what they were dressed like? Like, I'm going around my heart when the, the gospels are trying to bring me right into the middle of my heart, which is what? When she said that, that hurt me. That really hurt me. And I love her, 
as a friend more than that, and that's why it hurts me even more. Scripture calls that groaning, that when we groan, when we willingly embrace the pain of life and the struggle of being you, which you know being you is hard, right? If you don't know being you is hard, ask the person that's doing you with you. It's hard. Relationships are hard. Life is hard. It's not easy. And the invitation then to groan, the invitation to move from complaining to groaning actually begins to reveal our convictions. And what is the conviction? I can't believe she said that. I love her better than that, and I want her to love me better than that. And that groaning now has given me a conviction. I need to go see her tomorrow. Sally, you may not have meant anything about this, but last night I couldn't sleep because what you said at that party just so hurt me. And it made me wonder, have, have I hurt you? What's going on? And I have such a conviction. I'm, I'm, I'm scared to death about conflict. But my conviction, what I want, blessing, to be a blessing, glorify God. What I want is, is to come now through conviction of the Holy Spirit and tell you I care more about our friendship than I care about just going around and complaining and trying to get my blessings from God on my own. When we groan, we start to discover what we want. And that begins to heal our hearts. Because it is a dangerous place. You still with me? Okay. <laughs> the second thing Paul said is, he said, do nothing out of compulsion. Now, if you've been in the church for a long time, hang on. All right. Because uh, compulsion, this is a Greek word. Enake, which actually means don't do anything according to the law. And when we read that, what Paul is talking about is what is the standard for giving in the church? Does anybody know the word? Tithe. This is where I teach on the tithe. Well, okay, I'm going to teach you on the tithe. You ready? Here we go. He says, do nothing out of compulsion, which is out of legalism, out of tradition, or out of the law. We get the tithe from the Old Testament. It's a word that you're going to hear in the church a lot. Maybe not this church, but you're going to hear it in church a lot. Tithe actually is a Hebrew word for 10%. In, Le in Leviticus chapter 27, actually the tithe is established. A and we are to tithe of everything from the land, whether it's grain, from the soil, or fruit, from the trees, belonging to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. That when the Israelites came out of slavery... God was establishing for them a way of life as his people. And one of the things that he established was you need to give the first 10% of all your proceeds to the temple. Sort of. Because when we start to dig into the Old Testament, we realize that the tithe actually just wasn't one tithe. There was actually three tithes for the Israelites. There was a tithe that actually went to support the Levites who ran the work of the temple. You know, got to pay the preacher. Uh, then there was a tithe that helped uh, host the festivals every year and kind of the day-to-day -day operations of the temple. And then there was a tithe to the state. And the state had kind of a welfare system where they cured, cared for the widows and the poors. And each of those tithes were 10%. So an Israelite was actually tithing 30% of their income. Kind of like a tax. Exactly like a tax. So my question to you is, 
uh, if we're going to be true to the Old Testament, shouldn't we be given 30% of the church? Mike closes in prayer. <clears throat> okay, hang on. Because what I'm about to teach you is the tithe doesn't apply to us anymore. Hang on. You know, when, when Jesus came, he lived a perfect life. He completely fulfilled the law. Actually, in Romans chapter 8, it says, for what the law was powerless to do. And what was the tithe? How do we get right with God? And if we're right with God, what is he going to do? He's going to bless us. Blessing upon blessing. Micah, he's going to pack it down. You know, all of that. But the law was powerless because none of us were that good. Back then or now. None of us. So what the law was powerless to do, the law were the rules to get us right with God. It didn't get us right with God. It showed us how unright with God we really are. In fact, it didn't bring me closer to God. The law just showed me how far away from the Lord I really am. Paul even said that when he said, you know, he said, as soon as the law said, don't covet, what did I do? I realized that everything I do is dripping with coveting. He said, oh, wicked man that I am, who will rescue me? But what the law was powerless to do, it was because it was weakened by sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. If you don't hear anything else today, here's what Christ did. He came and lived a perfect life. He satisfied every little detail of the law. He, didn't, he wasn't flawed in any way. And when he went to the cross, he took all my brokenness, all my law-breaking, and he who knew no sin became all of my sin so that I could become what? The righteousness of God. Jesus said, here's the big exchange. I'm gonna, you give me all your sin, all your law-breaking, and I'm going to give you all my law-keeping. You're going to give me your unrighteousness, and I'm going to give you my rightness. Now let me tell you what that means. That means that all the blessings, remember what we want? To be blessed by God, to bless, to glorify God. Every bit of that is finished in Jesus. Every bit of it. In fact, all the blessings of God are mine. Because in 2 Corinthians 8, it says, He who was rich became poor so that we could become rich. And what are we rich with? The blessings of God. The presence of God. That's what Jesus did. The law has no binding on me anymore. I am free. And what am I free to do? Give what you want. Oh, wait, what? Do you know what you want? Can I really answer that question? Do nothing out of compulsion, but to be free. When we walk into that, guess what? Giving starts to become cheerful. Or as the Greek is interpreted there, hilarious. Hilarious giving. Because hilarious giving now, and I, I don't even, I'm about to wrap up because I have nothing to say to you. Because stop being reluctant, stop being compulsive, go and walk with the Spirit, and just watch what happens. It's gonna ha you're going to get hilarious in your giving. Because we start giving with joy. We start wanting to understand our blessing and understand what it means to bless other people and a hunger to glorify God. It's going to happen, I, I promise. But this is a war to deal with your reluctancy. And then crazy things happen. And you start realizing that my generosity just isn't money. My generosity is my time. 
My generosity is my gifts. My generosity is my words. So I was in Starbucks this week, and um, I'm in line, and it's like 3.30 in the afternoon, so uh, this mom and her two seven, eight-year-old boys were right in front of me, and they must have just gotten out of school because as they're standing in line in front of me, I could hear her saying to her boys, okay, each of you get to pick one thing, one thing, that's one thing and one thing only, and then we're going. And so the boys are like conspiring to each other and they're at that glass window case of all the sugar at Starbucks and they're struggling. They're like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. And the line's getting shorter and shorter. And finally they get to the register and they're like, I, I, they're starting to panic. And the mom looks at me and she goes, just go ahead. And if you know me, I love awkward moments. I said, no, no, I'm not going anywhere. In fact, y'all take all the time you want. And so the boys are looking at me and they're like, what uh, and they're struggling. And finally they agree and they get up the counter and they're looking at mom like, is now, 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 now. And they go, she goes, order. And they go, we want, they wanted some kind of like vanilla cake pop or something. You know what I'm talking about? Cause I don't eat sugar. Uh, Cause I pray all the time. So the guy at the register goes, oh man. That's the one thing we're completely out of. <laughs> and the mom looks at me immediately and she goes, you should go. And I said, I took a step back and said, no, I want to see how this plays out. Because the boys came back to the case, you know, and they're planning and they're planning. They're looking at me and they're wondering. And the mom just leans in and says, okay, boys, take a deep breath. They take a deep breath. She goes, it's okay. She goes, there's many good things in that case. There's no bad decisions. Y'all take your time and decide, and we'll enjoy them all together. Step back. The kids came back, and they ordered it, and they got their treat, and she got her coffee. And they stepped back, and they were waiting on their coffee and where you stand at Starbucks. And after I got mine, I went up to her, and I said, way to go, Mom. I said, that was beautiful what you did with your boys. I said, I cannot believe that you're the kind of person they would take all the pressure off of your kids' lives in that moment and let them enjoy ordering something sweet instead of feeling like idiots because they had ordered something that wasn't in the store anymore. And I just want you to know that I have a firm belief in my life that everybody deserves a, a slow clap at least once a week. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to give it to you, but I want you to know in my heart I'm giving you a slow clap. <laughs> and tears started rolling down our face. Why? Well, you know why? You know exactly why. Because let me tell you something. I am blessed, Midtown. I want you to know I am blessed because that's what my father does for me. My father moves into my world and goes, I rejoice over you, Randy, with dancing. I sing over you because you're my son. It is my joy to give everything I had to call you my treasure. That's my father. And you know what's fun? When you know that blessing, you love being a blessing. You know how hard it was for me to give her those words? Not hard at all. But you know how many people do that? Very few. It cost me nothing. It cost him everything. And I was the recipient. And guess what? As I left, I felt the pleasure of my father. Because that was hilarious. The only thing I regret is I didn't pay for all their sugar. 
Next time. That's why we give. The Lord is trying to rescue you from your broken heart into your full-heartedness of who you are as his son and daughter. Let's go on the journey together. Lord, we pray that you would move toward us now as we worship you, Lord, as we worship the kind of God that does that kind of hilarious giving to us, that we are blessed, 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 blessed. And now, Lord, would you allow us the courage to stop living reluctantly or under compulsion. Rather, Lord, that we'd live in the full heart that you've given us and be a blessing to others. For your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.